Welcome back to another episode of the Rad Empowerment Podcast. This is Dan here with you to give you guys some things that you can take home and help hopefully improve your life. I'm really excited today. If you can't hear the nerves in my voice, they're completely there. I have a really special guest here, Dr. Tro. And before I introduce and tell you what he does, I want to just share how grateful I am to have him on the episode because back in, I can remember in 2014, after our first nutrition seminar saying to either my wife or my brother, because it went so well, that one day we'll have a doctor who recommends CrossFit or says, you need this. And the way that I met Dr. Tro was one of my members came to us because Dr. Troll told her she needed to start a strength and conditioning program. And with her, his help and guidance, it led her to us. And that was the, that was a moment for me as a coach, really, really proud and happy that Dr. Troll had the, the, you know, was able to tell her, listen, being proactive, go work out. You're going to help your nutrition. You're going to help your, your, your health. And Dr. Tro, really happy to have you. So you know that who he is. He is a medical weight loss and direct primary care doctor. He's in Tappan, New York, but he works with most of his patients remotely. And he has a similar mission to us, and that is to provide preventative care through lifestyle and dietary changes. Dr. Tro, thank you so much. We're going to share who you are, how how you came to be, uh, where you are. And I just want to say thank you for joining us. And uh, just tell us a little bit about um that i don't know if i missed anything no no you you got it um you got it actually right really well um look it's it's uh this is going to be fun i'm excited i'm excited to be here we know each other now a bit i think our philosophies align hopefully kind of more and more we're going to be able to work with each other uh bottom line is is uh our world you know, what we say, our, we could say our state, we could say our counties, we could say our, but it's really the world is suffering from an obesity, diabetes, and chronic disease epidemic. And the problem is, is we have to start working together. Uh, we have to start working together. And, um, you know, you were a visionary back then in 2014, like saying, hey, there's going to be a day where doctors are saying we should do CrossFit that day should have come like 40 years ago. Agreed. Right. That day should have come 40 years ago. And uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be here. I'm excited to be here. I'm actually more excited. I'm hoping I have like this dream that maybe we'll work a little bit more closely in the future. And I, you know, I think uh, at the least uh, we can help, help each other, you know, Absolutely. Other. Uh, I'm happy to be here. Same dream, same dream. Yeah, as soon as um, as soon as that member told me about it, I I haven't been to the doctor in years, <laughs> and I said, okay, I have to go see this guy. I have to see what's going on. I have to, and that's what we do, you know. Here at Rad, we I'm experimenting with my own health because my mission is to improve and get better, so that I could share that with the members and help help them grow and help them get better. And I went through the process. I made an appointment. I signed up. You know, Dr. Tro spent over an hour on the phone on, on Zoom with me, you know, at my first virtual visit and my first in-person visit over an hour and, you know, told me I was healthy and I, told me the things I'm sure I've been working hard on and, 
and everything, but going through the process, knowing the way that he cares, where his passion is coming from was an amazing thing. And today we're going to just talk to you and get to know Dr. Troll a little bit, because I've, I've had the luxury or the, the privilege to have the conversations. We want to talk about his journey and it all starts with childhood. You know, for me, I grew up an athlete playing sports, gained the weight in, in college. I've been reading your story, Dr. Tro, and as a kid, your story growing up was a little bit different. So, you know, let us know growing up what was going on. You know, this gives us a better understanding of yeah. why you're here today. Yeah, uh, I could tell you uh, I grew up, you know, kind of uh, my parents were immigrants, right? So they came to this country with nothing. Uh, and they worked their butts off for me and my uh, two brothers. And we were all obese. We were all obese, basically, you know, from inception. Um, my parents were both obese. Mom had diabetes for a long time. Dad had, you know, high blood pressure. Um, and so, you know, but they were out working two jobs each, right? And so what happens when you work two jobs each? Mom cooks a bunch on the weekends, so I you know, back batch cooking, basically what we call it now. And then uh, during the week, I mean, uh, it was a struggle. You know, I remember growing up, you know, we would, uh, you know, me and my brothers would kind of look around and we would say, oh, there's nothing to eat. I remember one time I literally had a bread and mayonnaise sandwich as a kid, you know, and uh, my parents saw that I remember. And, uh, they went to Burger King. There was like a two for one sale. They literally bought a bunch of Burger King and, you know, kind of fast food uh, stuff and just froze it. Said, you know, if you guys are hungry, go eat it. And I remember that was like, maybe I was seven years old. I mean, look, our, our, when they cooked, the, the food was immensely healthy. I mean, you know, spinach, chickpeas, meats, you know, uh, you know, tabbouleh is like a parsley kind of, it's, it's uh that was the food growing up, you know, our, our ethnic food, but really it was like, you know, months of Halloween candy, fast food, because they needed something and, and box cereal and pop tarts, right? Because they just, uh, you know, they were, they were out busting their butt for us. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. you know, so I that, have the, and I don't mean to interrupt you. I mean, we yeah. relate so much because my parents were immigrants in this country country too and they were both working full-time my dad always had two jobs growing up and dinners were the same you know it boxed mashed potatoes or uh chef boyardee craft macaroni and cheese with the packages and stuff you know it was always something quick something quick and we were fortunate that because it was my twin brother and i and my two older sisters you know so they had a lot of mouths to feed so i could relate 100 because fast food was a thing that came came up a lot for us too Yes. Yeah, so, you it's, know, yeah. it, it was, um, so, you know, the first time I knew I was, I was overweight. I remember it was third grade. Uh, and this is really digging back, right. It was third grade. The first, I didn't really know. You don't really know. You don't really know anything about weight kind of before then. I mean, you look at somebody, you know, they're, you know, they're bigger than somebody else, but I never really felt anything about it. I remember in third grade, we had like this winter recital and, you know, they dressed us up and I had little reindeer antlers on. I was the reindeer in the recital. Right. And I, we had to run in place. 
and they were tape recording it. And I didn't think anything of it. Yeah. I was running. I was a reindeer running in place. And uh, then one day during a snow day, they kept us all in the auditorium and they showed it. And uh, I remember, you know, uh, you know, running in place, all my fat was kind of jiggling around and the entire class laughed. I remember that to this day. Wow. I mean, nobody like, and why am I bringing that up? I don't really like, it wasn't like a traumatic experience per se. Uh, I remember the cafeteria lady laughing and that made, that's what made wow. me feel bad. The kids, the kids laughing. I was like, all right, you know, I'm a little chunky and they're laughing fine. But the cafeteria lady was lighting, laughing, I remember. And uh, that was the first time I knew, that was like maybe eight years old, that, wait a second, I'm bigger than everybody else. Yeah. And uh, it stayed that way. I mean, it really stayed that way until I was about 15 or 14. Yeah. Uh, I was a big kid. And yeah. I mean, a lot of, you got to understand, my brothers were, my older brother was, you know, eventually he topped out at 400 pounds. My younger brother topped out at 400 pounds. I was, you know, I remember being 13 years old and going into a doctor's office. And this is the day I was inspired to go into medicine. I went into the doctor's office. The whole family were there for our summer physicals, you know, August. And first of all, we waited in their waiting room for about three hours mm. uh, and watching TV and a bunch of People were sitting right next to me, waiting for three hours, watching TV, right? You know, in a typical office waiting room. Then we all get there. We go on the scale and, you know, my whole family, we're all, you know, all five of us were overweight. And uh, I remember I was 13. I topped, I was like 205 pounds, right? Which is actually, you know, about, about where I weigh now, a little bit higher than what I weigh now, but uh I remember the doctor looked at me and said, you know, you know, you're on your way to be like your family, mm. you know, and maybe you should eat less. Mm -hmm. Right. And I remember thinking, first of all, this asshole made me wait. <laughs> Sorry, am I allowed to do that? We're New York. Yeah, well, don't worry. We're good. Yeah, okay. <laughs> this asshole. Second of all, he could have freaking put a bicycle or a treadmill in his waiting room. I was waiting yeah. there three hours if he was telling me to eat less and move more. Yeah. And third of all, he was like, all right, he wants to be less. I'm not going to eat anything. Uh, yeah. 13 yeah. years old. You know, I was like, I'm not going to eat anything. I actually went that day and I did the probably the worst thing possible. I didn't eat for a month. Oh, my goodness. I didn't eat for a month after that. And uh, I lost an amount of a incredible amount of weight. And then I went back to him. He's like, oh, you should, you know, keep it up. That's what he said, mm -hmm. by the way. He's like, he doesn't know how I did it, what I did, but keep it up, yeah. right? And, uh, you know, maybe you should eat a lot of salads and plants to keep it off. Uh -huh. That started a low-fat diet in me for the next, I don't know how long. I was vegetarian for a bit, vegan for a bit. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, that's me being 13, 14, 15. Then the weight just crept back on. Yeah. You know, crept back on. So that's where it started. I remember being 13 years old saying, I got to figure out how to beat this, you know, right. and, uh, and I'm going to be a doctor. I remember that was like the first time I was like, I, I'm doing this. Maybe I was in eighth grade or some eighth grade, eighth or ninth grade. Yeah. 
and then you, you know, so you struggled with weight and decided that you wanted to be a doctor, right? And you pursue this passion you have of being a doctor and you're still pursuing this, this journey with, with weight gain, weight loss, you know, in medical school, how, how did, how did all of that? Yeah. So I, so I'm like, okay, I'm uh, running in cross country, you know, I'm 13, 14, 15, right. Running in cross country, eating a vegetarian diet, starving out of my mind, trying to keep the weight off. And then basically from that point on, I gained about five to 10 pounds a year. Mm -hmm five to 10 pounds a year. I had no insight into appetite. I had no insight how to manage cravings. I had no, I had nothing. Yeah. Right. Um, so basically I put on about 10 pounds per year in college. I went off, I put on 10 pounds a year. I had no idea how to actually properly nourish myself. Right. Right. But I had a passion. I, I wanted to beat the gene. I wanted to beat my you know parents' genes and I wanted to do something you know, be something greater. I wanted to protect other people from that douche doctor that, you know, told me to eat less and said, you're doing a great job. Go eat some plants. I wanted to put, I remember being in college saying, I'm going to have a gym. I'm going to have an, a physician's office with a gym in it. Yeah. Right. That's, that's what I'm going to do because what the hell, if they're waiting there, they might as well wait on a, you know, stairmaster or treadmill or rower or, be inspired to move, you know, and yeah. yeah, go to medical school. Right. And I started medical school at maybe 280 pounds in the third year or fourth year there, I was 350 pounds. Wow. Right. So, and I love to exercise by the way. So, you know, I'm not discounting the power of exercise, but you know, I love to exercise, you yeah. know, but I didn't have a good understanding of how to manage appetite and how to manage hunger and what good nutrition actually looks like, despite being highly educated. Yeah. And it's so that's crazy to me. And, you know, I hear so much that, you know, nutrition is not a part of, of the education process when you're becoming a doctor. So how did you become, or how did you begin to become so educated? I mean, I was obviously through your own experimenting in your own journey and weight loss, but how did that, how did that happen? How did you start to educate yeah. yourself? And there was a, there was a, a, a moment. So fast forward, I, I go, you know, I finish medical school. I go to an internal medicine residency. It's like a three year time frame where you go and you uh, complete your training. Basically uh, it's like a, basically like an apprenticeship. And uh, I trained in the Yale system at Greenwich hospital. I ended up being the chief re resident there. Um, and I remember kind of towards the end of that, I took my board exam, scored on the 90th percentile on my board exam. I felt like I was a hotshot doctor, you know, and, and new evidence, you know, I was a skeptic. I looked into everything. Like that was the person I was, you know, I looked, I think that was my saving grace. That was like the, the really the uh, building blocks of what made me who I am now was any part of medicine. I didn't take what they said. I said, I want to know why they're saying it and why, the, you know, why the guidelines say what they say. Right. I always went to the evidence all the way down. I like went down every rabbit hole and I, you know, when I went into medical school, 
I was like, I, I barely made it. Yeah. You know, I barely made it. When I left residency and was chief resident, I'm 90th percentile on my board exam. And what, what, what made that happen to go from the bottom to the top, right, in terms of my academic performance was an unwavering desire to keep learning. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Learn more, learn better. I, I want to know why I want to know what, you know, why not? I want to know the chinks in the armor, whatever it is, you have pneumonia, you know, what, what are the treatments? What, which treatment is better? Why, what are the studies? What do the studies show? What are the, what are the faults in those studies? Right. So you, so that's the underpinning. Right. And then my wife, who's an attorney and now, you know, she owns a, uh, you know, she, it's funny. She owns a, uh, a low carb baking mix company, um, which she's worked on, but she's a smart cookie. You know, mm -hmm. she knows how to play me and she's pregnant with our third kid. And she's like, you know what, Tro, you're a smart doctor, you know, like you should be able to figure this out, you know, like what's, <laughs> you know, you should be able to figure out what's going on with your weight. And, uh, she's like, you know, you, you figured out this, you know, issue that, you know, my dad had, that was her dad, my father-in-law, you figured out these diagnoses. I know, you know, we know what you've done in your pro four-year program, you know, back in, in Greenwich and internal medicine at the Yale program. And, you know, we know what you've done and she totally played me. And she basically ended off said, are you going to be alive to enjoy your kids? Yeah. I'm a 350 pound doctor. You know, I, I know a little about nutrition, not much, you know, but I know a little about nutrition. We got maybe 10, you know, I don't know, like 20 hours in medical school. Not really all that much. <laughs> yeah. So I went back to the books. Like I was like, you know what? If this was pneumonia, what would I do? If this right. was COVID, what would I do? I would look at all the studies. I would read them. I would criticize them. I would go deeper into the authors who wrote those studies. What other studies did they do? And so that's what I did. Yeah. I started back in my medical school notes and medical school, you know, textbooks, read everything about nutrition, then just went deeper and deeper into the rabbit hole. Right. And when you go deeper and deeper into the rabbit hole, you see what a bunch of lies we were told, mm -hmm. you know, low carb consistently outperforms low fat. Right. And I'm like, wait, what? And then, you know, intermittent fasting is uh, equal to, and in some cases, better than just calorie restriction and eating multiple small meals a day. Yeah. So like everything we were taught, you know, do low fat, do low calories, exercise more, you know, um, do more cardio, you know, it's, it was basically all wrong. Right. right? It was all wrong. Right. And, and I'm going to pause right there because the challenge that the challenge that I'm seeing there is that this was all done because you were motivated to do that. It's not something that was, that was, it's not something that is required of doctors to do. You know, you did your own research, you were proactive about figuring out the problem and how to solve it. And, and it's just, it, to me, to me, I feel like it should be a requirement. The work and the research and the studying that you did should be a requirement for us to be able to help people because I mean, you're learning or you learned, and we're going to get to it, that there's a really good way to go about this, right? To treat people, to help people, to, to guide them, you know? And I, and I wanted to make that note, <laughs> like that important note, because I appreciate you for, for doing the research and doing the work and, and figuring it out. And, and it was 
be for you, you know, and that's where it all started for me too, is I lost my weight and, and felt really good about it and wanted to share that with people. So I just want to say thank you for, for doing that research, you know, and, you know, well, I mean, it, 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 let me just tell you how deep it goes. Okay. So not only is it mainstream medical messaging to say, eat breakfast, it's the most important meal, eat the size of your palm, eat multiple small meals a day, have low fat, avoid fats, <clears throat> don't eat red meat, don't eat, you know, avoid meat in general, right? There are major forces that say this, and this is how we're taught, right? And here's the problem. The Dietary Guidelines for America say this. The, you know, AHA, the American Heart Association says it, and they put their, you know, uh, heart healthy sticker on Pop-Tarts and Cheerios and uh, Pringles. So, um, <laughs> that, you know, the American Cancer Society says the same thing. And the American Diabetes Association at the time said the same thing. Right. So when you have so many people saying the same thing, it's very easy to just accept it and say, okay, this is, this is the evidence that all the experts agree. Right. Right. But my, that was never my MO. And what made me good at being a doctor was going and saying, how do they get to those conclusions? Where are the studies? Let me look at the studies. Let me look at the authors of those studies. Let me see what else they have published. Right. Right. And I, that, that was a key part of this is like, I'm not going to just do what you tell me. I'm going to learn why you're telling me this. Yeah. Right. And uh, I think that that's, that's what most doctors miss now. They're brilliant people, right? But they haven't gone back to the drawing board, right? Maybe the word is nihilism. They need a little bit of like, let me like convince me, right? Convince me that this is the right way. Right. And uh, yeah, in terms of <clears throat> motivation, I mean, that motivation has been there since eight years old. Yeah. I didn't want to, you know, I've been, I didn't, I didn't want to be overweight. <clears throat> so yeah. the motive, like I wanted to, be a normal weight i wanted to have control over eating yeah that's it uh, you know it's not so much about the weight i just wanted to understand why am i voraciously hungry you know and is there anything i could do about it yeah you know why am i eating why is it why is it my wife right now she can look at like a bag of pringles or whatever a bag of chips eat three of them and stop and yeah. i can't why can't i do that Right. So uh, what is it? What is it? You know, what drives appetite? What drives hunger? What drives satiety? And uh, yeah, th that's where it started. And then basically, as you are empowered with information, with information and you have a desire to change, right, you will continually kind of seek out better and better information. And you'll now be now you're empowered to make that change happen. So I just started going low carb. Yeah. Then the weight started coming off and I wasn't hungry. And then I was like, oh, I'm not hungry anymore. Let me just not eat. You know, like I'm not going to force myself to eat if I'm not hungry. And I'll, I ended up eating, you know, maybe like 10 meals a week. Right. And if I went and told my doctor when I was 13 that I'm eating a bunch of meat, fish, chicken, eggs, Greek yogurt and green leafy vegetables and berries right. and I'm eating one to two meals a day you would have like gasped, you know, like yeah. going to kill yourself. <laughs> and so I'm gasping I, a little bit because I'll be completely honest. I yeah. don't, I don't promote the, the fasting. I don't, I don't um, experiment with that with my clients. 
You know, I, I'm still not fully convinced. Maybe this can be a conversation about convincing me. We have so much that we can talk about. Um, but I but agree you with you. Simple, man, you got a different. So, so when you are forcing the body for, for hypertrophy and strength, you know, we have, we have, we may have competing goals, right? right. Like uh, to some extent. So if you have somebody in resistance training, what's the signal you want them to get? It's build muscle. MPS, muscle, you know, you want them to have uh, two to three hits of protein a day. You may want that to build muscle. Now we have to balance that in relation to what else is coming with that MPS, that protein hit you want them to have. Typically either a little bit of carbs or fat or both, mm-hmm. right? So now if somebody has a regulated appetite, no problem, right? Now uh, you get the best of both worlds, you know? Um, if if you find, so bottom line is, yeah, absolutely. If you're trying to build muscle, you may benefit from having protein more frequently, right? Um, I think it's a competing goal, competing goal thing, but let's just say every time you eat, you tend to overeat, Yeah. you know? Well, you got to balance that now. Yeah. Like, okay, if you're not eating and you're not hungry, should I force somebody who has difficulty controlling their portions to overeat, you know, to eat? Yeah. Again, like to stimulate them to eat again. Uh, I, so it's, it's, you're right. It's not nuanced. One to two meals isn't right for everybody. Right. And that's, right. The, it's important to note the different types of clientele that we, we attract at here at RAD, we attract a person, uh, a, a certain type of person. And Dr. Tro, after listening to a bunch of your podcast episodes, I can hear the challenges your clients are facing and they're in my opinion, a lot more severe. So if we talked about this fitness journey on a gradient, right? People who are laying down in this fitness industry or standing up or walking or jogging or sprinting, I attract the types of people who are jogging. You know, you have the people that are just basically standing up, right? They, they, or maybe even, I don't know if they're laying down, they're past laying down. I mean, you've, you've helped some people with some amazing things, you know, so talk a little bit more about some of the things you're seeing, who you attract, the challenges they're having. It, it's just to give our, our listeners an idea, because when you promote a, a fasting and a low carb um, nutrition, it's, it's to your community ma- mainly, and it could work for some of my clients, but there are things that can, depending on goals can be different. Absolutely. So I'll tell you a couple of things. So, um, here, okay, here's the thing in CrossFit athletes. Okay. They've done. So let me tell you what intermittent fasting and carb restriction, what happens when you go on a carb restricted or intermittent fasting diet for exercise performance. Okay. Your exercise performance will consistently suffer for four weeks. Okay. Meaning if you started going, dropping your carbs right now or intermittent fasting right now, and you're any type of athlete, elite, you know, race walker, um, a a weightlifter, an endurance athlete, doesn't matter. Taekwondo, martial arts. If it's three weeks or less, you will undeniably have a decrease in exercise performance. This is called the keto flu, basically. You know, this is the period where people go on a low carb diet and they feel miserable, right? And they have to supplement and you can mitigate those symptoms. You can take in more salt, electrolytes, 
you know, that, so there's a lot of things you can do to kind of not feel so sluggish. Now, when you fast forward that time frame, right, it takes your body time to adapt to using a different fuel source, right? So if you're giving your body carbohydrates, it's going to predominantly use carbohydrates. If you give yourself fat, it's going to use fat, right? right? So making that switch can take months. Mm -hmm. So what we know reliably is at three months, it doesn't matter whether you're an elite level gymnast, an Olympic weightlifter, a CrossFit athlete, a HIIT athlete, or an endurance athlete at three months. Okay. And this is even like semi-pro and elite level data that performance equalizes. Okay. The performance equalizes. So somewhere between three weeks and 12 weeks is when the body truly adapts to yeah. using a different fuel source as its predominant fuel source. Now, <clears throat> there are specific requirements you may have, right? So say I'll, I'll come up with the ideal athlete to do a low carb diet. In. They're off season, right? They're off season and they have body composition issues. They have fat mass they wanna decrease. That's the ideal person, right? You tell them, hey, you're going to have to take it easy, supplement with electrolytes for the first month, then you're free to go. Yeah. You're, you're, you're going to be riding high. Okay. If I have somebody that's going to the CrossFit games, you know, next month, I would never put them on a low carb diet. Yeah. Would never do it because they're going to suffer. Right. So their performance will suffer. So, and let's say somebody is already lean, has no body composition issues. They have no, they don't really want to get fat off. They want to concentrate on building muscle. Then I mean, why would I use a ketogenic diet, right? A ketogenic diet inhibits appetite. It kind of, you know, it has some benefits, but I'd say, you know, it has some other benefits that are potentially worth noting, mental health benefits, migraines, reflux, other things. But, you know, I think bottom line is if you have an athlete who's got fat they want to lose, right? And they're off season. That's the ideal person. Now, if your training volume goes significantly higher than an hour per day, okay, that's typically when I'll say you need to probably periodize carbohydrates to that exercise, Yeah. right? Because your body can use fat for fuel, you know, uh, at basically 70% of VO2 max. If you're crossing above that threshold, you need, and for a sufficiently long amount of time, you're going to want to supplement with carbohydrates. So there's always, there's all these unique characteristics. If you came to me, you know, and you said, Tro, I want to do a low carb diet. I tell you one, your performance is going to suffer for a month. Two, you're going to need to supplement with salt, magnesium, and potassium. Right. And three, um, you probably are going to want to periodize carbohydrate to exercise, right. At least for the first, you know, uh, first two months. Yeah. So there are, you're absolutely right. There are specific, you know, very uh, uh, specific uh, kind of scenarios. The ideal person coming to me, they failed everything else. Yeah. They can't get a hold of it. They, they, they don't feel like they have control over their diet. They want more insight into what is making them hungry. What will make them full? How do they get full quicker? Do they need to eat? How frequently do they need to eat? I, I have tried everything. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the people I love. Yeah. Right. I have tried everything and I can't, you know, I couldn't do it. I yeah. couldn't do it. Those are the people that we really have a lot of success with. 
And, you know, it's not a get rich quick scheme. When I first started, you know, this is five years ago, you know, now I'm board certified in obesity medicine and I'm a published author on, on, you know, diabetes, uh, obesity, binge eating, now cholesterol. Um, the, uh, the bottom line is, is what I tell you, when I first started five years ago doing this specifically, we said the program's four months. And within a year, I was like, it's not long enough. Right. Long enough. And we made it six months. Right. And honestly, we should, we really should probably make it a year because it's, it's tough to unpack, you know, uh, the mentality. And right. we've talked a lot about this, yeah. you know, um, where, you know, like somebody has a car, right? They get a flat tire. What do they do? They call for help right away. They go fix it right away. They wouldn't, you know, get out of the car, pop all the tires, smash all the windows and wait until next week and wait until next month and yeah. wait until next year and say, you know what? I called AAA once before. I'm not going to call them again. You know what I mean? Like they wouldn't do that. Yeah. But when it comes to eating, right, how much of that mentality have you seen? Oh, man. Yeah. You that's, know? The, that's the challenge we always have. We have the strategy and we have what you're willing to do you know, what you're willing to believe. And that's always, you know, we were talking about that. It's the, that's the challenge is the, the psychological aspect of it. You know, people, and, and it, it, if in, in your case, you had success with not eating and eating less and losing weight. So, I mean, how many times did you go back to that before you decided this is just not working? <laughs> you know, a lot of the clients we have come to us and they're doing the same things over and over again, because it worked a little bit for them in the past, you know? Yeah. The mindset's a hard thing to change. I mean, so that's, that's a problem, right? Because you can, I can go back to not eating for 30 days, but that's going to kill my metabolism. Right. Right. You have to view it differently. Like what does my body need right. to decrease its hunger? Right. I was just central planning at third age of 13. I mean, I'm just pouring out my whole, you know, life story here, but at the age of 13, I was just using central planning to control my eating. Right. Despite hunger right? Despite huge amounts of hunger, not understanding hunger, yeah. right? Once you understand, Hey, your body needs a certain amount of things. It needs certain minerals. It needs a certain amount of protein. And then that hunger becomes manageable. Now then how do you address cravings? Right. Right. I mean, look, I have people that can't say no to pizza. Mm -hmm. They eat pizza till it hurts. I have people who every night they struggle with chips, right? When the kids are asleep and they're by themselves, they eat chips. So we come up with, strategies based on their vulnerabilities right. if every single night is a problem for you let's come up with a good better best right that we'll replace it out start by putting you know we'll get you some quest chips right so just start there yeah. and have a clear vision of what your progression is going to be right in terms of how you're going to manage your appetite and maybe you know right now your progression will go from pringles to quest chips Maybe at some point it'll go from Quest chips to a bowl of Greek yogurt. Yeah. And maybe it'll go from a bowl of Greek yogurt to it's 11 o'clock. I probably should be sleeping. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, so maybe you're going to find that stress makes you hungry. That's a unified message we've seen here in our practice. Right. How do you manage that hunger? Right now you're eating, you know, a bunch of Snickers and Halloween candy. Right. Well, can we, come up with us. Well, one, can we educate you on why you're hungry at that time? Right. And we have tools to kind of help figure that out. Uh, CGMs, ketone meters. We have a lot of ways to kind of 
empower people to really understand why they're hungry, yeah. right? Um, most people don't know. I didn't know. I was a 350 pound board certified doctor. I didn't know what makes humans hungry, what makes humans full. Yeah. And then you come up with, you know, strategies. Yeah. Right? I'm, 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 I'm curious too, you know, on what makes people hungry. You know, what did you find? Yeah, it's, uh, so, so the biggest, the, <laughs> all right. So, uh, you like question? <laughs> no, no, no. It, it, hunger is a, you know, there's basically like six major hungers. Uh-huh. Okay. Six major hungers. Some of them are simple. Okay. You know them. We're going to put words on them so you can recognize them. The cephalic response is if I put a pizza in front of you, what happens? Salivate. You salivate. Do you control that? No, right? So that's called a cephalic phase response. You smell something, see something, and now you're getting hungry uncontrollably just looking at it, right? That's a cephalic phase response. That's one hunger I cannot control, right? No matter what diet you're on, you got to deal with that, okay? Another hunger that you probably know is, let's say you're out with your friends. What do you do? Or your Thanksgiving, what do you do? What are we doing? You eat. So the social cue to eat, just try some, have a little bit of this. Here's let's go out for dinner. Right. I can't get rid of that. Right. Okay. So you have food cues or the cephalic phase response. You have social cues. I, these things we can't get rid of. Right. So now there's a whole other, you know, a whole bunch of other hungers that we potentially can mitigate. So um, the, one of them is the glycemic, it's called glycemic dipping, uh-huh. okay, glycemic dipping. And you ever met somebody with diabetes who injected insulin? Uh, yes. Okay. Their blood sugar goes low. What do they say? They say, I feel weak. I feel a little tired. They injected too much insulin. Their blood sugar, their blood sugar is low. They say, I'm weak. I'm tired. They say, go get me. Sugar. <laughs> uh, they don't say get the white powder. What do they say? Yeah, something like fruit or juice. Get me juice, get me chocolate, get me ice cream, right? So this glycemic dipping is actually a huge hunger that people need to know about, uh, this blood sugar going down. Now, should that diabetic patient, should you turn around and be like, you should be ashamed of yourself for asking juice because your blood sugar is low. Would you do that? No. Should you do that? No, you wouldn't do that. You understand right. hey, if their blood sugar is going down, right, uh, that their brain is going to say, get me something awesome. Right. Right. And, and remember, it's not the part of the brain that's deciding to be good, deciding to go to CrossFit, deciding to go learn about appetite. It's the impulse part of the brain that's getting a signal, which is get me awesome food. Right. The survival right? part. Yeah, exactly. And that instinct is, bit, you know, it, it has a pretty clear signal. So that glycemic dipping is a hunger that can be modified. You ever have uh, a bunch of Chinese food, right? You eat a bunch of Chinese food, chicken and broccoli, a little bit of rice, a little bit of egg roll, and then you're kind of full and you're like, I don't want to eat anymore. Three hours later, that cold Chinese food, you're like, where is it? It tastes even better. And it, you, you get to it and the leftovers taste better. Yeah. Has that ever happened to you? The leftovers taste better? Long time ago. It's been a while since Chinese, but yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that, so if you went to a Chinese food store and they gave you cold Chinese, what would you do? I probably said no. You used to be like, this is terrible. What are you doing? Yeah, give, me, give me the, if you, you ever have that with pizza too? Maybe you had one slice of pizza. Then a couple hours later, you're having another slice of pizza. You're like, why does this cold pizza taste better? Yeah. Is that, yeah. 
So what's going on here? What makes that happen, right? Your stomach's full, you kind of ate, right? Mm -hmm. but three hours later, this food actually tastes better. That's glycemic dipping. You ate this food that's high in carbohydrate, your blood sugar goes high, and then your body's trying to handle it, and it goes down. Just like that diabetic patient, when that blood sugar is going down, what do they say? Get me, get me something awesome, right? Get me chocolate, get me. So this is what's making you say, accept cold Chinese food, where normally you never would. Right. Or cold pizza, where normally you never would. Except yeah. now you're saying this is even better. This is even better. That's called glycemic dipping. Yeah. Right. And and pretty universally, anybody with obesity has that. Yeah. I'll play that pretty, you know, pretty much. And and they blame themselves. Mm -hmm. They blame they come in and they say, I just can't stop eating pizza. And then we put them on a blood sugar monitor and like it's literally, here's the reason why. Yeah. And you give them a low carb pizza, you know what happens? The first day they eat a low carb pizza, right? They eat the same amount of energy they would have. And they're like, oh my God, I literally had one person say, I've never eaten pizza and felt the voices in my head to eat go away. Mm. You know, just by changing it to low carb. Right. Right. Because now the blood sugar is a little more stable, a little bit more managed. Right. So um, the best way you could kind of say it is how many slices of pizza till you get hungry? Me? Yeah. How many you slices? Don't, you don't you want it. Sorry, to get you full. don't want to know. Just give me like a quick, you know. I, I could go through a whole pie. Okay, like on a reasonably, reasonably full. five, five slices. Five slices. Okay, yeah. five slices in Long Island. That's probably like two thousand calories. Yeah. Okay. Let's just make it a low carb food. Sorry. Right, let's pretend it was. Yamadi just tried to get into Zoom, just so you know. And oh, let me call her. Definitely not having sorry my wife has another call and i don't know if she but it's not it's not yeah we'll end we'll end it we're not ending we're not ending no she's gonna take a phone call yeah bottom line when you when you uh if you compare that pizza it takes two thousand calories to get full right right if you did that with a low carb food pick eggs for example you know two thousand calories of eggs is like i don't know 40 30 eggs something like that you ever eaten 30 eggs? No, if you ate 30 eggs, would you be craving 30 eggs cold? Definitely cold not. Eggs Definitely not. So this is this is why the calories aren't so important sometimes. But what are those cal what kind of hunger do those calories create? And what kind right. of like what kind of brain uh, satiety are you getting? Yeah. Right. From those calories. So that's glycemic dipping. That's a type of hunger that can be modified by diet, right? And there's other, there's other understanding the, the, what hunger is to the brain, right? That's a whole nother lecture. But bottom line, the brain loves carbs and fat put together. Mm -hmm. If you understand that, you'll understand how you crave food. Pizza, carbs and fat. Potato chips, carbs and fat. Ice cream, carbs and fat. Chocolate, carbs and fat. French fries, carbs and fat cookies, cake, donuts, carbs and fat. This is the brain's, you know, cheeseburger, carbs and fat, yeah. fried chicken, carbs and fat, right? So that's the, the food reward hunger. I, I like to, you know, tell patients about this is a, a hunger that you really need to know. People think that they have like this unique food preference. Nobody has a unique food preference, right? Basically take carbs and fat, your brain's going to love it. Yeah. So these are the hungers that I try to get 
you know, patients with obesity to understand. And the hardest one is understanding stress-induced hunger. Yeah. And that's a whole long lecture. I won't go into it. But these are the five main hungers we try to get people to understand. And when they understand that, uh, now the power's in their hands and now we can prepare for these hungers, right? Instead of just saying like, you know what? I, I messed up and you know what? I might as well stay off plan and I'll start again next month or next week or whatever it is, right? right. Uh, we got to get out of that and empower people with information. And then once they have that information, create an action plan. Yeah. Awesome stuff. Yeah. So your mission for your patients, you know, we, we're, we're given a little taste of what it's like to, to kind of, well, we're getting to know you really. And, you know, I'm ta- walking away feeling a little bit more educated and able to help people because, you know, the, the stages of hunger is something that, you know, I knew existed, but didn't understand the way that you just explained it. And it makes a lot of sense. So working with your patients and we're not going to keep you too long. Um, what's your mission? You know, I know that you've mentioned to me that you work with a lot of your patients remotely. When I listen to your podcast, I hear you're certified in a lot of States, right? Just give us a little bit about what that's like for you. What's the, what's the, uh, mission, what's your mission and how do you serve? Yeah. I mean, uh, look, bringing, making metabolic health easy. So, uh, if somebody, um, needs help with, you know, weight loss, or they want to like a deep dive into their health. Right. And they want to get a sense of if, is there something that's uncovered that they, that they need to be uncovered? They want kind of like a doctor that's going to spend time with them, figure out, you know, what's driving their ill health, or is there something more they can do? I'd say the top two people coming to me are one, somebody who has a lot of weight to lose and is empower, wants to empower themselves with an information and a plan, right. On how to lose weight. Right. Uh, I think that's the, the people that we really love. And then the other people that really come to us are people who are looking to optimize. Like I want to look underneath my hood and make sure no stones unturned. I'm as healthy as I think. So we have what we call a lot of worried. Well, which is people who are like, you know, just like you, they're, they're, they're pretty damn good shape. They know they've put in the work and they want to make sure that there's nothing they missed. Right. Right. There's nothing they missed. So those are like two, um, me, the major people coming to me. And I think, uh, uh, the way we help them is basically time and extensive lab work and sometimes monitoring, right? right? So putting a continuous glucose monitor on them, measuring their blood pressure, monitoring their weights remotely, you know, uh, monitoring their heart rhythms remotely, getting a sleep study wherever they are in the country. I mean, these are the kind of things that, uh, we do assessing their hearts, you know, right. coordinating with their medical teams. I mean, we're, we're basically like a full service telemedicine company. And that's awesome. You know, and don't, I know that we could go off into the weeds talking about this, but for me, it's especially awesome to hear you say that because for most people, when they go to the doctor, it's a different conversation. Here's the, here's the magic pill, right? This is what's going to help you. This is where we're going to go. And I know that this is, you know, if there's a need. If, if someone's struggling, if someone has issues, there's a need to medicate. But some people leave a doctor's office like, well, you know, you're at risk for this, that and the other thing. So you just need clean diet and exercise without any guidance. 
you know, with, without any education, without any, hey, this is, this, this is what you can do, right? Um, so it's really awesome to hear you say that, you know? Yeah, I mean, look, I'm happy to be here. I'm lovely, you know, uh, I know now, uh, you know, we've had great success kind of working together. You know, I'm gonna continue kind of sending my patients your way. I know they're in great hands, um, especially if they're on the, on the island. Uh, and uh, it's just, it's nice to be able to meet people with the same vision of uh, getting people healthy, right? And knowing that it's not, there's no quick fix. This is not easy. This is not like get your, you know, uh, you know, get somebody in and then, and then walk them, you know, see them. It's basically being your brother's keeper. Yeah. That's it, you know, uh, and you know that better than everybody else. Well, we've been, <laughs> we've been fighting along, you know, it's, it's, and you know how it is right now. Not a lot of people are doing what we're doing. So we're kind of pioneers in this, trying to raise more awareness. And, you know, we're, we're going to take off this way and leave it on this. Hopefully maybe have you back for some deeper conversations. I know we've talked a lot about other things that we could bring. Uh, I know your time is, is very valuable. So I want you to, I want to tell you, thank you again. I don't know if I've thanked you enough. Thank you so much for being here. I'm going to link all of your information, your podcast, your website to the show notes here. And if anyone has questions or anything, you know, please email me, text me. We'll get back to you. If you enjoy the show, please like, and subscribe and share this episode with anyone you come across. We're just trying to spread awareness and tell you guys that taking care of yourself, being proactive for yourself is definitely encouraged and we can help you do it. So Dr. Tro, thank you so much. Thank you.